If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the History Extra podcast. I'm Ellie Cawthorn, staff writer on BBC History magazine. Before we begin, I want to tell you about a special offer we are running for podcast listeners, where you can enjoy a one-month free trial to all the premium content on historyextra.com, as well as a free edition of BBC History magazine for Apple and Android devices. Head to subscribe.historyextra.com forward slash podcast to find out more. It's very possible that these buildings can go up in smoke, and that's that's an awful thing. But out of these these horrible these tragedies, um, many of them have been reborn, reshaped, recreated, and redesigned. That was Emma Wells talking about Notre Dame Cathedral. listening to the History Extra podcast from BBC History magazine. We're the UK's best-selling history magazine, available across the globe in print and digital formats. Find out more at historyextra.com forward slash subscribe, or look out for us in your digital newsstand or app store. Hello, and welcome to the History Extra podcast. I'm Rob Attar, the editor of BBC History magazine. On Monday night, a terrible fire caused extensive damage to one of Paris and indeed France's greatest landmarks, the medieval Notre Dame Cathedral. In today's episode, you'll hear from Dr Emma Wells of the University of York about the fascinating history of the building and the reasons why this blaze has caused such sadness around the world. Putting the questions to her was our staff writer, Ellie Cawthorne. What was your reaction when you heard the news about the fire at Notre Dame on Monday? Well, I think we were all were absolutely sort of devastated, um horrified, shocked. Um, however, fire within cathedrals, unfortunately, does happen and happens quite a lot. We have seen it throughout the centuries. Um, I know uh, some may say that, oh, this doesn't happen. Fire doesn't happen in Gothic cathedrals. And often that is the case. We saw it more in Romanesque, uh, you know, Norman cathedrals, because there was a lot more timber. But I think as we have seen in the images, um, there, there is a forest of timber, which is called the forest in the roof. And therefore, with timber and with metal, uh, the metal gets extremely, extremely hot. Therefore, it's very possible that these buildings can go up in smoke. And that's, that's an awful thing. But out of these, these horrible, these tragedies, um, many of them have been reborn, reshaped, recreated and redesigned. And that's um, also how we've got these great innovations. So an absolute tragedy, but there's suddenly hope for the future. 
The news has obviously triggered a massive reaction. Why do you think Notre Dame holds such an important place in the heart of the French nation and is such an iconic building? For several reasons, really, well, for so many reasons, in fact, it is, in terms of its architectural history, um, it is an extremely important building. Uh, de Sully, who built the, the cathedral back in 1163, who started the first, the Gothic cathedrals we see it today, um, he wanted to sort of make um, an architectural standpoint, as it were, to help launch a revolution in Gothic architecture. He was seeing what was going on down the road at Saint-Denis. Um, he saw great, not only you know large, expansive, but tall buildings filled full of light, um, which they hadn't seen before. They were sort of used to these Romanesque buildings that were a little bit more, you know, dark with the great large columns. And as a result, he wanted to um, wanted to emulate this. He wanted um, a building that would rival it in Paris um, to show, in fact, that Paris was not only the political, but the economic and the religious, the spiritual hub, the capital of France. Um, so as a result, we get this extremely large, huge building. I mean, when you see it on on the images, you can see it's just an, it's an icon, a landmark in Paris. Um, and it was the first to have sort of four stories in height, extremely large. And it was uh, this this was achieved via flying buttresses. So these this sort of skeletal cage structure that we see, um, which sort of surrounds um, Notre Dame. This was achieved through the um, flying buttresses, which took the weight and the force outwards and downwards. And therefore, that allowed um, the architects to build upwards. But what's sort of quite interesting and important is that although they were building in this Gothic style, although they were building these great, you know, expansive heightened buildings in the nave, they actually uh, built, were using Romanesque capitals, Romanesque columns, pillars building on the site of a, a Roman temple um, to Jupiter. though, So the original site was um, San Etienne, so a basilica. And then the Gothic church was built on top. So essentially what um, the architects were doing, what de Sully was doing, was um, referencing the past, so referencing these Roman origins. And through building upwards, they were, they were sort of going into modernity. So referencing the past, but moving into the present. So an, ex- an extremely innovative, modern approach to building and therefore an extremely important architectural achievement. You mentioned earlier about some of the medieval construction techniques. So your thought is that the Gothic structure isn't necessarily particularly vulnerable to fire. This is just really a case of bad luck. In the in our sort of Romanesque buildings that that we have seen, um, that we saw before before Gothic buildings, you know, the Romanesque style for sort of Gothic, um, there was a lot more timber. There was a lot more timber. A lot of the roofs were, were timber. And then we get, in the Gothic period, we have the, the stone, the rib vaulting, and that's what we see here at Notre Dame. And as a result, these sorts of rib vaults create um, a sort of barrier between and a sort of fi- protection. There, there is a sort of fireproof protection in, in the middle of, in between the timber and in between the stone. So they act as a barrier so that rather than just the whole the whole roof going up in smoke and therefore just shattering to pieces as it were um that's why the building that we see today is still there's essentially a skeleton there it is still standing if you see what i mean it's still there's still a structure there so 
if the vaults, if things are sort of reached a high temperature and um, the, the vaults had essentially come down, that would have been, uh, a, a, it would have been a lot worse. We would have seen a lot worse, really. But, I mean, the timber itself, there is a lot. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's, as you, you will have seen, it's referred to as a forest, and that's what supports the roof. I mean, some of those some of those um, wooden beams are 100 metres long. They date back to the 13th century. We may not ever find a forest large enough to replace them. But with that, the heat from um, the fire reached probably about, you know, 800 to 1,000 degrees, which completely decimated the roof. And as we've also seen, there was extensive water damage. And so mm-hmm. the stone has weathered quite a lot of the storm, yes. But, and so although it seems like it's standing, the mortar that's holding it will have been exposed to these extreme temperatures. Many cathedrals have been damaged by fire or other natural disasters over time. Could you give us some examples and how the communities behind those buildings um, dealt with those disasters? Yes, I mean, um, there's been so many um, Gothic cathedrals that have gone up in smoke. Um, sort of famously, Canterbury Cathedral in on 5th September 1174. We know from Gervais of Canterbury that primary sources that um, Anselm's glorious choir went up in smoke. Again, it's timber that was the fault there. Um, we also have seen, oh gosh, so many others. Chichester, um, there was a fire there in 1114. So building of the nave started there in 1114, out of the fire in 1114. And then even again, in the late 12th century, there was another fire which destroyed a lot of the church, a lot of the city. So that resulted in another build, rebuilding effort and rededication of the church. York Minster, there was the, the huge fire of the south transept in 1984 due to um, the strike of lightning. Um, and again, that was because of the roof was timber. In 1829, there was a fire because of an arson, a man who came in. And as a result, um, he, set, he set the choir alight. It was a, an act of arson. He hid in the north transept. But as a result, um, what we found out through John Brown, the Clerk of Works, he realised um, that the columns uh, of the nave extended far beneath the ruined floor of the choir. So he revealed the true extent of the undiscovered Norman crypt. So that's what I was sort of saying earlier about we can un- we can discover things, things could be reborn from this rubble. So, you know, there has been so much that has come out of some of the fires in the past. And Notre Dame itself has actually been damaged in the past as well, hasn't it? Oh gosh, yes. Um, it's it's seen it's seen a lot through through its years. Um, I mean, it's been it's been the victim of sort of destruction and restoration. You know, we'll, we'll say that's two different things. Um, in the 16th century, um, as part of the resistance to persecution, the Huguenots raided it, it rid it of all its statues and its images because they were considered idolatrous. Um, and in the midst of Louis XIV's reign, um, then there was there was a sort of further controversial, we'll call it a restoration, um, because there was a huge transformation of architectural taste. Um, it's sort of, what they wanted to do was completely eradicate the what they saw as the medievalism. So the rude screen was taken down, which was studied with sculptures, um, and perhaps most tragically, the stained glass, so that's the 12th and the 13th century glass, was replaced with completely clear, plain glass. 
as the sort of dual terms that we that we sort of love and associate with stained glass, stained glass were seen to be just you know out of taste as it were um however that that wasn't all in 70 the 1790s the keith cathedral fell to um victim to the french revolution um and it was even sort of de-christianized it was seen as a temple of reason um and became the um, cult of the supreme being. It was rededicated to the cult of the supreme being. Um, and as a result, again, stripped of any ornament, removed and decapitated statues, many to- tombs destroyed. So, I mean, it's gone through its fair share of um, of hurt and heartache. After sort of the revolution and the renovations and the restorations, whatever you want to call it throughout the several centuries previous to, um, it actually bounced back. Notre Dame sort of bounced back in the 19th century. So what happened was in the in the very early 19th century, um, Napoleon Bonaparte signed a concord with the Holy See um, that the Catholic Church would take back control of the cathedral. And um, and it was essentially he wanted to be crowned within the cathedral as emperor. And so a, a cleanup operation began to rebuild it and repair the windows because it wasn't in a very good state at this time. So um, so that so that took place. However, it wasn't it wasn't in the greatest shape by that time. But it's it's sort of real savior came in the 1830s. And oddly enough, it was um, via Victor Hugo's Hunchback of Notre Dame, the publication of that. Um, Victor Hugo himself was a leading light of French monasticism. And he, through through his novel, he uh, drew attention to the cathedral's plight by spearheading a sort of resurgence of interest in the medieval Gothic past. You know, he sort of built up the fact that Notre Dame was such an important icon to Parisians and the French and that it was in this such sort of degraded state. In 1844, Louis-Philippe, the new king of France, entrusted the project to two architects, and the main one was sort of Riolet le Duc. And the Duke himself, um, he sort of started this, and was sort of the main spearhead behind it, um, started this uh, sort of an imaginative reconstruction um, based on based on contemporaneous medieval artworks and sources, um, and it lasted for about 25 years. So what he did was he just um, it included the um, renovation of the destroyed stained glass windows. He replaced them with his new designs. Um, new bells were recast to replace the old melted ones. Um, they had been melted down in the 18th century to make um, cannon. And then uh, new statues were carved. And also um, the the spire that went down um, in the flames, that was actually um, a 19th century Le Duc um, reconstruction, which was modelled on the original 13th century spire and bell tower that was taken down in the 1780s. So what he did was sort of a 19th century medievalism intended to recreate this sort of monument of France's past. So it actually became the sort of icon and beacon of um, Parisian and French culture that we know and that we think of when we think of Notre Dame today. Picking up on your point about the famous rose windows, much of the concern um, when the fire was breaking out was about their fate and still um, they seem to have been salvaged, but there's a lot of concerns about whether they'll be um, damaged. Why were they so significant and why are they such an important part of the building? 
they are an extremely important feat of engineering, these sort of oculi, these very round, intricate tracery, you know, as I say, skeletal type structures are so, so, such such a feat of Gothic engineering. The West Rose is perhaps the earliest. This dates from, I think it's around 1205. Um, it represents, the, the iconography re- represents virtues and the vices, the lebs of the month, the signs of the zodiac. Then we have in the North transept, um, a little bit later, sort of mid 13th century, um, was the best preserved of the three. Um, this was an extremely important window because it represented the Virgin Mary. It had the Christ, uh, the Virgin holding the Christ child surrounded by the Old Testament characters. So the 16 prophets, the 32 judges and kings. Um, so as the cathedral is dedicated to the Virgin Mary, it's sort of an embodiment of that. And then the South Rose um, depicted, this was sort of, a, again, a little bit later, but still 13th century, depicted the life of St. Matthew and the infancy of Christ. So the theme was the, the last judgment of Christ surrounded by the angels and the Virgin. Um, that was severely altered in a fire, um, well, sort of in the destruction and in the 19th century. Violet Le Duc in the 19th century, he um, he restored that. So there are sort of bits and pieces of the original glass. But the point is that, well, 13th century, very early 13th century glass, there is so little of it in the world left and in such great condition, let alone within these beautiful rose oculi, you know, intricate tracery windows. That is why it's so important, because there just aren't these examples you know, anymore elsewhere. You know, York has a few. You know, there are other cathedrals that have a few, but in the in this sort of amount, no. The cathedral is also home to many important religious relics and artifacts. What do we know about the fate of some of those? From what I've heard, they seem to be. Uh, they seem to have come out. You know, they seem to have been rescued. Although this is debatable, we need to find out more about this. There's the relic of San Luis. Um, but there's also, as we know, that the crown of thorns is an extremely important, extremely significant relic. There's also fragments of the true cross, one of the holy nails. But on top of that, you know, those aside, of course, they're extremely important. But on top of that, in the sacristy, there's a number of priceless items, including, you know, medieval manuscripts, jewels, chalices, crosses, some of the most revered um, religious and cultural objects from medieval Europe. As I say, we've heard that they have been rescued. Let's just hope that that is the case. And I mean, it's not just that they are of medieval origin, but we just don't have other examples of these. These can never be replicated. And that's why it's so important that they are. Macron has stated that he intends um, to start the restoration process as soon as possible and that he's hoping it will be back um, up and running within five years. How possible do you think that sounds? It's extremely difficult. It's an extremely difficult question to answer at this stage until um, work sort of moves, moves on in terms of understanding the damage. There is such a huge process um, to go through in order to to find out, you know, what state it is in, um, you know, extensive works must take place at the time of a fire, you know, and, and there was also a huge scaffolding covering much of its exterior. It was in a state of renovation. So that's that's in point. So even the fact that, you know, the scaffolding that was already up there will have to be delicately taken down because it will have suffered with this, these 
huge, huge masses of heat. Um, you know, then we have to come in, we have to put protective covers in, we have to shield it from the wind and the rain because that's a problem at the moment. You know, it is exposed to the elements. Then there's the whole um, issues with cleaning out the debris. You know, the debris won't just be forgotten and removed. Um, you know, that will be analysed, that will be looked at. You know, what can we learn from this? And then, you know, buildings archaeologists will come in in order to record the building, um, the surviving fragments, the surviving stone and artwork to, in order to see what can be salvaged. And then from there, you know, the sort of rubble is moved out, a survey, surveyors come in, um, safety will be the prime consideration. And then from there, it goes so on and so forth. So my point there being is it is such a lengthy process, even to get it to the point of starting again, starting from, you know, from day one. So I think five years is perhaps, um, yes, I think we'll be looking a little bit longer than that. He's also stated that he wants to make Notre Dame more beautiful than ever before. It raises an interesting question about how you um, go about restoring a, a historic building after such a kind of dramatic event as this. Do you try and replace what was there or do you go for something drastically different? What's your take? I think this is a very interesting question and I don't think that there is a particularly right answer. I mean, it's a very subjective question. However, in the 21st century, well, if, if we take England, for example, the, the conservation ideology that, that we take today tends not to be, let's let's replicate what we saw in the past, if if a very large element of it has has gone. The approach we take today is more conservation, so conserve what we have in order that we can, you know, continue its life for generations to come. We don't take the approach as much to as restoration. So we don't get rid of what was there and create something new or something more beautiful or, you know, emulate the medieval. I think it's difficult to answer the question at the moment because we don't know the extent of the damage. Do we leave it as it is and leave it as a monument and a testament to time, history, culture? Or um, do we rebuild as it was or do we create an entirely modern approach. I think perhaps the latter might be an idea, you know, some sort of glass structure that allows you to see through and see what happened and just see what is left. But it entirely depends what, in what state things, you know, things are in. But considering these sorts of things have happened in the past, considering fire has happened in, in the past, the, these sorts of things can be conserved, you know, not just entirely restored, it can be conserved. So, you know, we just need to see. We just need to wait and see, I think. And um, so do you feel hopeful about Notre Dame's future? I feel, I, I do feel entirely hopeful. Um, we can't be anything but hopeful, I suppose. Um, you know, we have built in the past, we built Notre Dame, we have rebuilt it throughout the years throughout the centuries therefore we can continue to do so of course it is a substantial loss we have you know we have witnessed many losses however over the years in our cathedrals but you know there has to be a silver lining and the silver lining is that although we may have witnessed huge destruction here huge loss as i say it allows for us to go in and see a what is there and B, what happened in the past. So buildings archaeologists, buildings historians can come in, architects, etc., surveyors, 
they can uncover more about the history than of the building than ever before, more about the archaeology, which that is a very small silver lining. Um, and as a result, we can we can use that in order to inform us about the best approach to take to the building in its state. We can also learn the, um, about the craft of our medieval forebears and well, not just our medieval forebears, but, you know, the, throughout the early modern period and, and so on and so forth. And I think that's an important point to make is there are these these craftsmen with such skills still. You know, there are master masons, there are glaziers uh, that still have their their workshop beside these cathedrals. They, if they were not there to this day, we wouldn't have such cathedrals that are still intact without their work, without their skills. There wouldn't even be a Notre Dame up until Monday. So that's important to, to point out. That was Dr Emma Wells. Look out for a piece by her on Notre Dame Cathedral in our June issue, which is on sale in a few weeks' time. And in the meantime, you can read more about the story on historyextra.com. OK, so that's about all for today, but we will be back on Monday when David Reynolds will be discussing the Allied leaders of World War II. Thanks for listening to this History Extra podcast, which was produced by Ben Hewitt and Jack Bateman. You can catch up with past episodes on historyextra.com, where you'll also find thousands of articles on all different aspects of history, as well as our special subscriber-only area, the library. 